stops in three, two, one. Go. Liberalism is back in style. Welcome to the evolution. What if you knew Fox News was just lying to you? How could you watch when you know? He was voted Variety Entertainer of the Year in the Excellence in the Arts Award. And it's one of the highest arbitrage now Nielsen-rated talk radio hosts in Las Vegas. He is also a refreshing voice of logic and reason. Live from the entertainment capital of the world, Doug Basham. I know words, I have the best words. I love the poorly educated. Right under the toilet. And good morning, my fellow wokes and Republican jokes. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Doug Basham, and welcome to the Doug Basham Show right here on KSHP in Las Vegas and on social media, and to a genuine demonstration of excellence in broadcasting. The website is www.dougbasham.com Last name spelled B as in Bob A-S-H-A-M as in Mary DougBasham.com My email Doug at DougBasham.com If you are new to the show here's all you need to know My website is one page You'll find the show's logo on top Underneath it, 12 links to everything associated with this show, including links to all the social media sites on which we broadcast this show live. But here's really the only one you need. Click on the YouTube icon. Once there, click on the link that says live. There you can watch the show live or view the archive shows. Two clicks, that's it. But hey, if you could manage a third click, namely on the subscribe link, I would be thankful. 221-7283 is our call-in number here at the station, folks. If you want to talk on the radio in our second half hour, that's 702-221-SAVE, as in save our democracy, our ultimate and only goal. And each and every show we do, lock him up. You know, one thing I pride myself in is is I try not to waste valuable airtime telling you what I do on my days off or when I'm away from the show. Granted, there's not much to tell. I spend my weekends preparing segments for this show. Now, I have a small TV on my work desk, and every now and then I'll have it on when there's a football game or a Formula One race. But even then, I only give them a fraction of my attention. The show always has 99% of my attention. That said, I'm going to break my own rule and let you know what I've been doing the past couple days when I wasn't doing this show or preparing for the next one. And I wouldn't do that if I didn't see a connection to this show's main focus, namely our imperiled democracy. So let me set this up. First, I have two cars a 2009 Hyundai Elantra, and a 2015 Hyundai Elantra. I like Hyundai Elantras, obviously. 
Well, when I got my 2015 Elantra, which I got brand new at the end of 2015 when the 2016s were already out, I got it for a good price. Now, just to be clear, I didn't pay for the car. It was actually a gift. But right after that, I came into possession of a 2009 Elantra, which had low miles and was in great shape. And so, since 2015, I've been driving my 2009 car. As a result, my 2015 Hyundai has a grand total of 345 miles on it. Not 345,000, 345 period. And that's just from taking it to the dealer occasionally to keep the warranty valid. Well, four weeks ago, my 2009 suddenly went south and badly. It developed this power steering problem that would cost almost three times to fix what I could sell the car for. And so, for the past month, every time I've driven down here to the station, I have been waging a losing battle with my steering wheel ever mindful that I was warned it could get to the point where I wouldn't be able to either turn the steering wheel or straighten it out once I had made a turn. And so when my 2009 went south, I decided it was time to make the switch and start driving my 2015. And so I went online again four weeks ago and booked the next available appointment, which is for this afternoon. I also called the DMV and asked what I had to do in order to switch the plates from the 2009 to the 2015. They said I had to bring the title and a smog check in. So, with my appointment two days off, on Tuesday, I took the 2015 down to get a smog check, and they told me they couldn't do it because it didn't have a plate. I told them the DMV told me I couldn't get a plate until it was smog checked. Well, the smogger wouldn't or couldn't budge, and so I went home and called the DMV several times Tuesday afternoon. Each and every time, I got a recording telling me they were too busy to answer my call and to try back later. So I tried them yesterday morning before I left for the show, and I got through. They told me I had to come in and get a temporary move permit, then take it for the smog check. So... After yesterday's show, I went to the DMV, wherein I stood in line for an hour and a half. When it was finally my turn and I told the clerk why I was there, namely for a temporary move permit, the first thing she told me was, why didn't you just go online and do it? And I said, I can do that? And she said, yeah. And I said, well, why didn't they tell me that when I called this morning instead of telling me I had to come in? And she said, I don't know. I asked her how long the wait was if I stayed, and she said almost four hours. <laughs> so I went home, and sure enough, within a few minutes, I had my temporary move permit. Great. So I go back to the smog place. They tested it, and it didn't pass. And I said, how can that be? It's only got 345 miles on it. And the guy showed me where it said it had been rejected for incomplete monitors, which he then added meant that the car had to be driven in order for these monitors to reset. And of course, he charged me for the test, even though it didn't pass. And so 
I still plan on keeping my DMV appointment today, and I'm going to try and throw myself on their mercy and say, hey, this car only has 345 miles on it. It's essentially a brand new car. The reason it didn't pass the smog is because it's been sitting idle. And we'll see if that works. If it doesn't, I'll reschedule an appointment as soon as one's available and keep driving the car, which I can do because the temporary permit is good for 30 days. And in a couple of weeks of driving it, I'll return to the smog shop and see if it passes then. So that's something I've been dealing with the past month, but especially the past couple of days. And I'm not telling you this strictly because I want you to be a part of my pity party. Although that's certainly part of it. I mean, as the old saying goes, misery loves company. But there's another reason that's more important than my measly pity party. In past shows, you have heard me bemoan the fact that one of the challenges our democracy faces is the millions and millions of people who simply don't participate in it and don't vote. Well, while I was standing in line at the DMV yesterday, I noticed a young lady who was trying to register people to vote. And if you've ever been to the DMV without an appointment, which I never do except for yesterday when I had no choice, there are always a virtual crap ton of people either standing in line or coming out of the DMV. And what I saw was one person after another just blow this young lady off. Most either just shook their heads no or waved her off with one of their hands. And so at one point, I asked the fellow behind me if he would save my place in line because I wanted to go talk to this young lady. He said sure, so I wandered over to where she was. I told her I hosted a political talk radio show, a real live morning show, by the way, and I was interested in her voting registration efforts. I then asked her how long she'd been working. She said four hours. I then asked her how many people she'd been able to register. She said two. Now, I realize some of those people may have already been registered voters, but the way everybody was just summarily dismissing her, that wasn't the vibe I was getting. I mean, when she would ask people if they were registered to vote, no one I saw in my hour and a half in line even answered her. No one said yes. No one said no. Instead, they reacted to her with almost disgust, with with don't bother me looks all across their faces. And that concerned me. I mean, if you were a registered voter and an active participant in our democracy, wouldn't you respond positively to her question? Thanks, but I'm already registered. I think you would. However, if you were not registered and weren't particularly interested in registering, I think that would lead to the, I think, really rude dismissals I watched this young lady endure. And my first thought was, why would people be so disinterested in their own democracy? And then I thought, they probably don't even think of it in that context. Rather than view it as a sacred right, maybe they just see it as an inconvenience they don't want to be bothered with. And so I thought perhaps mandatory voting along with election education might be a good idea. 
Bottom line, I was rather dismayed and disappointed that this gal was only able to register two voters, two, in a four-hour time span. And, you know, speaking of the DMV, I'm reminded of the Polish immigrant who went to the DMV to, to apply for a driver's license. And, of course, he had to take an eyesight test. The optician showed him a card with the letters C-Z-W-I-X-N-O-S-T-A-C-Z. And the optician asked, can you read this? And the Polish guy says, read it. I know the guy. And this other guy, he was interviewing for a job at the DMV. And the interviewer said, I see in your form under physical deformities, you mentioned partial genitalia. What does that mean? And the guy says, oh, I had my testicles blown off in an accident. And the interviewer said, oh, I'm sorry to hear about that, but, but that's not a problem. And he goes on with more questions and, and seems really impressed. He says to the guy, I think you're exactly what we're looking for. You have the job. The guy says, that's awesome. When can I start? The interviewer says, you can start Monday. The rest of us come in at 8 a.m. You should get here at 9 and the guy said, why is that? And the interviewer said, we usually spend an hour scratching our nuts before we actually start working. And then there was this woman who was walking along the street when she got plowed into by a vehicle and killed. The police had a tough time identifying her, but they were able to get a picture from the DMV. So the cop walks up to the house and rings the doorbell. The husband answers. The cop says, sir, do you know this woman? The guy says, yes, it's my wife. Cop says, sir, sir, I'm really not sure how to break this to you, but it looks like your wife was hit by a truck. And the husband replied, yeah, I know, but she's a wonderful cook. <laughs> okay, back to what we do here. And I got to say, something that was in one of the clips I played yesterday received a ton of attention on the cable news shows last night. And it came from Liz Cheney's new book, Oath and Honor, A Memoir and a Warning. And by the way, this book won't be published until this coming Monday. It's already a bestseller on Amazon. Conversely, Marjorie Trader Trash Ato's Green, Green Book, MTG, which came out 10 days ago, it's number 5,840 on Amazon. The more you know. And this clip centered around how Kevin McCarthy responded to Liz Cheney when she asked him why he went down to Marilardo soon after he had laced into Trump in the immediate aftermath of January 6th. Just to refresh your memory, this is what the guy who Trump called my Kevin said one week after January 6th. Madam Speaker, let me be clear. Last week's violent attack on the Capitol was undemocratic, un-American, and criminal. Violence is never a legitimate form of protest. The violent mob that descended upon this body was neither peaceful nor democratic. It acted to disrupt Congress's constitutional responsibility. Some say the riots were caused by Antifa. There is absolutely no evidence of that. And conservatives should be the first to say so. Last week, we saw mob violence met by courage.
sacrifice, and heroism from the brave men and women who protect this institution every day. But for the bravery of the Capitol Police, the destruction and loss could have been much greater. We owe them a tremendous debt of gratitude. The officers of the Capitol Police deserve our eternal thanks. We will never forget the dangers they faced, the determination they showed, or the sacrifices they made. And make no mistake, those who are responsible for Wednesday's chaos will be brought to justice. That doesn't mean the president is free from fault. The president bears responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility. Quell the brewing unrest. And ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his term. And the president's immediate action also deserves congressional action, which is why I think a fact-finding commission and a censure resolution would be prudent. And you see, he didn't just support an investigation. He thought Trump should be censured. What you just saw there was a demonstration of leadership, albeit a brief one. Because shortly thereafter, we learned that McCarthy traveled to Marilardo to meet with the orange trader. When McCarthy returned, Cheney confronted McCarthy. Here's that part of the clip I played yesterday. This will show you MSNBC's Chris Hayes' reaction to this really just laughable excuse. Three weeks after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy went to visit Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, smiling and shaking hands. Remember for that infamous photo. And in her new book, former Congresswoman Liz Cheney reveals McCarthy tried to explain that away, <laughs> claiming that Trump's staff was, quote, really worried about the former president. And I quote here again, Trump's not eating. So they asked me to come see him. He's really depressed. <laughs> And you understand why Chris and others had some fun with this laughable excuse, right? I mean, the fact that Trump wasn't eating was just ludicrous. I mean, take a look. Does this fat pig look like he's ever missed a meal? Come on, get real. It was a made-up excuse and lie from Kevin McCarthy so he wouldn't have to admit he went to Marilardo and let the orange trader bend him over. Next, CNN reported on the story, and we'll hear Jake Tapper's reaction to it. And she writes, get ready, Cheney, Mar-a-Lago? What the hell, Kevin? Kevin McCarthy, they're really worried. Trump's not eating, so they asked me to come see him. Cheney, what? You went to Mar-a-Lago because Trump's not eating? McCarthy, yeah. He's really depressed. <laughs> um, CNN's Aaron Burnett also took a crack at this story. This is what she came up with. You know, as, as Alyssa is pointing out, right, she, she knew Kevin McCarthy inc incredibly well. And just two days before the election on November 5th, then Speaker McCarthy tells her 
uh, or 10 days after the election, I'm sorry, tells her Trump knows it's over, knows he lost. Um, he needs to go through all the stages of grief. Um, but of course, Mar-a-Lago, remember, a few weeks later, <laughs> Kevin McCarthy goes down there, he takes the picture, the kiss, the ring, that whole famous moment, right after he said he was responsible for January 6th and all this. So Cheney sees the picture. She writes, she thinks this picture is a fake AI. Who knows, right? She thinks it's a fake because she asked McCarthy about it. Okay. Mar-a-Lago, what the hell, Kevin? Kevin replies, they're really worried Trump's not eating. So they've asked me to come see him. Cheney, what? You went to Mar-a-Lago because Trump's not eating? McCarthy, yeah, he's really depressed. I mean, seriously? No. Not seriously. It was a laughable excuse and a lie. MSNBC's Joy Reid also weighed in on this Trump not eating story, and you'll notice her guest, the illustrious congressman from California, Eric Swalwell, as amused as he was by this story, completely ignored the eating nonsense and used his time to offer insight as well as throw in a well-delivered joke. But the problem with him being concerned about his food uh, consumption is that Donald Trump pretty much only eats McDonald's and Diet Coke. So unless he's like an Uber Eats driver, I'm not sure how he would help him. But I, I would love for you to comment on the fact that the former Speaker of the House of Representatives felt that he had to go to the home of a, the, the insurrectionist to feed him. These guys see their jobs tied uh, exclusively to Donald Trump. And, and so they use the House of Representatives to just wage Donald Trump's battles and they can't see themselves as having another job or getting another job. Yeah. And so they need this is the only job that they can get. And, and Mike Johnson, who, by the way, had called Donald Trump back in 2015 dangerous, is now also bending the knee to Trump. He's found apparently the only conversion therapy that actually <laughs> works because now he's all in for Trump. Bottom line, these guys are not going to save us. The, the hero has to be the voter because they're not going to save us. And perhaps no one had as much fun with this story as MSNBC's Joe Scarborough on his Morning Joe program. Enjoy. By the way, speaking of eating fried squirrel, Willie, did you hear about this new Liz Cheney book that came Ooh. out? Wait. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. But my, here's my, here's my, around, here's my favorite line from it, though. Okay. Kevin McCarthy oh, no. yeah. justifying his trip to Mar-a-Lago by saying three words that nobody's ever said about Donald Trump. He's not eating. Now, all I can say no. is this. If Kevin McCarthy's job was going to go down to Mar-a-Lago to get Donald eating again, well... He did a hell of a job. Yeah. Because that ain't been a problem since. Go back. It wasn't really a problem God. before. You know, maybe if he said, I got to go down to Mar a Lago because Donald's cheating on his wind sprints, <laughs> we'd believe that. Yeah. But he's not eating. I don't believe it, Willie. What say you this well, early we're getting, morning? We're getting those excerpts out of the book, and man, there's a lot of devastating stuff in there, but nothing more heartbreaking than hearing that. Kevin McCarthy said he had to rush effectively to Donald Trump's bedside because, quote, he's not eating after the results of the election, after January 6th, after having to leave the White House. It's like no. an ailing mother or father uh, in their final days. She's yeah, not eating. So we should sad. surround her and be at her bedside. 
bedside, talking about the former president of the United States not eating. And that is why a couple of weeks after January 6th, Kevin McCarthy rushed to Donald Trump's bedside at Mar-a-Lago and got him a fresh I bucket of KFC or whatever he was <laughs> well, into. I was just going to say, it. Willie, like how, comforting, how comforting that when he left, the last vision he saw was of an ailing Donald lying in that bed uh, with a empty bucket of KFC over his head. Just on his tummy. I mean, uh, right. well, the chicken was on his. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, come on. He's not eating. That's you pathetic. really you really want to go down to Mar-a-Lago that badly? Like, come on, Kevin, make a better excuse than that. Right. I, I just I can't. And again, everyone's having fun with this bit because it is on its face, both laughable and dishonest. But it does demonstrate something. It shows how members of the QOP not only are fully aware of what they're doing to placate Trump, but that they're either embarrassed or ashamed of what they're doing because they know it's wrong and they know what a complete zero Trump is. I mean, why else would you almost dislocate your integrity reaching for such a transparently false excuse as, they called me to Marilardo because Trump wasn't eating and he's depressed. I mean, I don't know of anyone, even members in Trump's brain-dead mega cult base, who would admit publicly they believe that excuse. In fact, just wait and see how many of them call in and admit they believe it. They won't, unless, of course, they're pranking us. And by the way, if you're wondering where that bit at the beginning came from, where in Scarborough said something about eating fried squirrel, that's how they led into the Kevin McCarthy's Trump's not eating story. Scarborough was talking about James Comer's latest self-humiliation, and they had some fun with that as well. Hunter Biden's more than welcome to come in front of the committee. If he wants to clear his good name, if he wants to come and say, you know, these weren't 20 shell companies, they actually did something. Uh, he's more than he's invited today. Well, that's well, it, he has to be happy because Hunter said he's going to you know, Hunter wants to go and he wants to speak before the American people, right. wants to clear his name, wants, more than invited. wants everybody to hear. And, you know, this poor Comer guy. You know, trying to get Hunter. He, he wants him because he keeps making a fool of himself because he says, well, we ain't really got nothing. Right. But a squirrel fire and a hound dog. Yeah. And uh, or says something like that. But yeah. They got nothing. What was the first one? Squirrel fire. Uh, Remember? Squirrel fire. Okay. Squirrel oh, fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Squirrel. squirrel fire and a hound you and dog. Huckabee. By the way, speaking of eating fried squirrel, Willie, did you hear about this new Liz Cheney book that came oh, out? Wait. Like, come on, Kevin, make a better excuse than that, right? I, I just, I can't. All right. But, so. but, but anyway, on this Comer thing, as you were asking me, Willie, I heard you in your head asking about this Captain. Comer thing. Yeah. He says, "All just come to our committee. Come to our, so Hunter says, okay, I'll come to your committee. He goes, all right, we better do this in private now. Now they don't want the American people to see what Hunter Biden has to say. They have been spraying BS for a year about this guy, two years about this guy. And keeps going, oh, well, if he was innocent, he'd come down to our committee. Well, they're coming down to the committee. And now they're like, oh, no, no, we don't want it to be public. We don't want the public to see this. We're going to hide it behind closed doors. How pathetic. 
And now we'll hear Willie Geist's response. We're going to hide it behind closed doors. How pathetic. How pathetic that is. And Hunter Biden called their bluff. He said, all right, I'll come down there, but I'm not going to do it in private and let you spin what I said and cherry pick and misinterpret and spin out to the public and go on Fox (laughs) News afterward and say things that I didn't say. Let's put it out in the open so the public can decide for themselves. And now they're saying, well, I'm not so sure we want that to happen because the whole point of this exercise is for us to spin this and to misinterpret the information. By the way, Jamie Raskin put out a statement. He, I think, crystallized the whole situation. Of course, Democrat from Maryland, quote, let me get this straight, he said. After wailing and moaning for 10 months about Hunter Biden and alluding to some vast unproven family conspiracy, after sending Hunter Biden a subpoena to appear and testify, Chairman Comer and the oversight Republicans now reject his offer to appear before the full committee in the eyes of the world and to answer any questions they pose. What an epic humiliation for our colleagues and what a frank confession that they're simply not interested in the facts and have no confidence in their own case or the ability of their own members to pursue it. End quote from Jamie Raskin. This is uh, James Comer, of course, guys, the man who said, well, there's an awful lot of smoke here. No fire yet. Apparently still looking for that fire. As Congressman Raskin said, epic, epic humiliation. And I thought this was James Comer's best lousy excuse and lie for why they don't want Hunter Biden to testify publicly. And I'll let Chris Hayes from MSNBC set this up. If you have not been watching Fox News, you may not be aware of the drama and intrigue they and their Republican allies have gymmed up around the president's son, Hunter Biden. But you should know that while you have been following the news on all sorts of other topics, the Fox Cinematic Universe has been attacking President Biden and his son day in, day out, all day long. Now, this line of attack could, in theory, at least, be rather effective. The problem is they're working with very bad material. And they keep running into absolutely humiliating dead ends. Now they have hit perhaps the most humiliating one yet. They built up a whole narrative about the Biden crime family and promised that Hunter was the key to bringing them down. Comer and his teams have now spent months putting out a steady stream of anti-Biden content, doing everything they can to promote an impeachment story and impeachment news segments on Fox, short of actually voting on impeachment for the president because, well, they don't have enough support to pass that. Of course, a large part of what is driving all this is an instinct for revenge for the two impeachments of Donald Trump. Trump has ordered them to impeach Joe Biden, and, well, we know what they do when he orders them to do something. So they want to even the score. Trump wants to even the score. Facts. Now, this is the key point. They have uncovered no actual evidence to support an impeachment of Joe Biden. But the inquiry has provided the House Republicans with a great opportunity to subpoena Hunter. Chairman Comer issued that subpoena earlier this month, summoning Hunter Biden for a closed-door transcribed interview. And now, Hunter Biden has called their bluff. Yesterday, through his lawyer, Hunter Biden told Republicans, sure, I'll come in and talk to you, and not just that, I will come in and testify live, in public, before the whole committee. You know, you would think that would be precisely the sort of dramatic confrontational moment Republicans have been waiting for. They're trying to produce cable news for their friends over at Fox, after all. But instead of declaring victory and putting the date in ink, James Comer just folded, claiming a public hearing would not suffice. We need to ask him hundreds of questions. If he comes in for one hearing, 
with 24 members having five minutes each to ask questions with the Democrats yelling and screaming like they do every hearing, we would probably get about 30 to 35 questions in. Democrats scream and yell every hearing? Have you met Jim Bag Jordan, Mr. Comer? But yeah, you'll only get 35 of the hundreds of questions you want to ask Hunter if he testifies publicly, but you'd get all of your hundreds of questions asked if you just did it behind closed doors? Weak sauce, James. Real weak sauce. I mean, why didn't you just say Hunter can't testify publicly because it'll make Donald Trump depressed and he'll stop eating? I mean, what is this? QOP pathetic laughable excuse week? Because if it is, you worthless idiots are batting a thousand. Now I want to go back to Liz Cheney's book again and some of its more meaningful revelations. Our gal Alicia Menendez began her segment on this with this. Enablers and collaborators. Former Republican Congresswoman Liz Cheney, she has some choice words for her former colleagues in her new book, Oath and Honor. Cheney depicts a Republican Party that is willing to abandon any and all principles for the sake of one man, the disgraced ex-president, described by one of her fellow congressmen as, quote, Orange Jesus. CNN has obtained a copy of Cheney's book. While NBC News has not independently verified the anecdotes reported by CNN, a source tells NBC that CNN's reporting is true to the actual copy of the book. Inside Cheney's memoir are a ton of revelations, including this one, likely to perk up the ears of prosecutors and special counsel Jack Smith's office. Quote, Cheney reveals for the first time that McCarthy told her just two days after the election that he had talked to Trump and that Trump acknowledged he had lost the 2020 election. He knows it's over, McCarthy said, according to the book. He needs to go through all the stages of grief. Cheney writes, she thought to herself, those stages of grief seem to involve tweeting in all caps. We all know what happened after the election. Donald Trump tried desperately to overturn his election defeat. Kevin McCarthy enabled him every step of the way said the current speaker, Mike Johnson. Here's what Cheney says about him from CNN. Quote, Cheney recounts how Johnson pressured Republican members to support an amicus brief to throw out the election results from four states Trump had lost. When I confronted him with the flaws in his legal arguments, Cheney writes, Johnson would often concede or say something to the effect of, we just need to do this one last thing for Trump. Okay, revelations from that clip. Just two days after the election, McCarthy told Cheney that he had talked to the orange trader and Trump admitted he had lost the election. Second, and remember, this book was written before anyone even really knew who Mike Johnson was, let alone that he was going to become the new QOP House Speaker. And yet Cheney writes that Johnson pressured QOP lawmakers to support an amicus brief to throw out the election results from four states that Trump had lost. And by the way, I'm wearing a pair of amicus briefs today. Would you like to see them? I promise I won't show you my Johnson mic. No? Another time? Fair enough. And when Cheney confronted Johnson and told him his legal arguments were bullshitsky, and keep in mind, Mike Johnson is not only a lawyer, but he's considered to be a pretty good lawyer and one who would certainly know better. 
But when Cheney would confront him and tell him he was way off base legally, Johnson would either agree with her or say, quote, we just need to do this one last thing for Trump, end quote. Why? You admitted he'd lost the election. You admitted that your legal theories were crap. Did you really think if you did this one last thing for Trump, he would just go quietly into the good night? When has appeasing Trump ever led to anything other than him demanding even more loyalty and lawlessness? To the contrary, he has only escalated both his election lies and his dictatorial intentions. And yet this Mike Johnson just recently endorsed Trump for 2024. Mr. Christianity endorsed the devil incarnate. Alicia Menendez continued. Johnson would often concede or say something to the effect of, we just need to do this one last thing for Trump. According to Cheney, doing one last thing for Trump effectively became the Republican Party's agenda. Here's what happened just before the Capitol was attacked on the 6th. Quote, Cheney describes a scene in the GOP cloakroom where members were encouraged to sign their names on electoral vote objection sheets lined up on a table, one for each of the states Republicans were contesting. Cheney writes, most members knew it was a farce and another public display of fealty to Donald Trump. Among them was Republican Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee, Cheney writes, as he moved down the line, signing his name to the pieces of paper, Green said sheepishly to no one in particular, the things we do for the orange Jesus. In the aftermath of the insurrection, Cheney's vote to impeach the ex-president and her refusal to back down from that vote cost her her position in Republican leadership and ultimately her seat in Congress. Her conclusion now, quote, I am very sad to say that America can no longer count on a body of elected Republicans to protect our republic. Every one of us, Republican, Democrat, Independent, must work and vote together to ensure that Donald Trump and those who have appeased, enabled, and collaborated with him are defeated. This is the cause of our time. Another revelation, albeit one we already knew, namely that the majority of QOP lawmakers who signed on to this amicus brief and went along with all Trump's other stolen-slash-rigged election lies, they knew it was all bullshitsky, but they did so anyway. And finally, Liz Cheney couldn't be more on the money when she says ensuring Trump is never allowed within 100 miles of the halls of power ever again is the cause of our time. I couldn't agree more, which is exactly why that is also the cause of this show. Alicia continues, and we hear from our first guest, the Democratic Congressman from California, Adam Schiff. Every one of us, Republican, Democrat, Independent, must work and vote together to ensure that Donald Trump and those who have appeased, enabled, and collaborated with him are defeated. This is the cause of our time. But first, let's go to the former member of the January 6th Select Committee and Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff. He is also running for Senate in California. Congressman, thank you for being with us. What is your reaction to what Cheney is now saying about her former colleagues? Well, it goes to a fundamental truth of the last six years, which is that Donald Trump could not have done any of the damage that he inflicted, uh, the tearing down our institutions, 
the causing Americans to distrust our election process and weakening the foundation of our system, and that is uh, voting, uh, but for the willing enablement of so many of her colleagues in Congress. Uh, and, you know, one of the terrible realizations of these years is just how many enablers there were and how few people of courage and conviction uh, there were also. And, uh, you know, gets to, I think, a fundamental truth that the historian Robert Carroll once uh, described in an interview when he said that power doesn't corrupt as much as it reveals. It doesn't always reveal us for our best, but it says a lot about who we are. Well, power revealed Liz Cheney uh, and Adam Kinzinger to be people of great courage and conviction. But it also revealed that for every Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, there were literally 100 Kevin McCarthy's and Elise Stefanik's. And this is what has put our democracy in such peril. You know what I loved about what Adam Schiff just said? He repeated everything that I've said. Although, you know, I, I said it better. First, Trump by himself would just be a senile old man yelling at kids to get off his lawn. I have said repeatedly that the problem isn't Trump. He couldn't have done what he's done without help. And sadly, an entire political party, an entire major political party, volunteered to be what Liz Cheney calls his enablers and collaborators. I call them his accomplices and co-conspirators. The other problem, of course, are the millions of people who are stupid enough, stupid enough to think he's their political savior. Then Adam talked about destroying the people's trust in the institutions necessary for our democracy's survival. We do that, too. And I got to wonder, Adam's QOP colleagues in Congress only do what they do because they are shameless. And I have to wonder, has Adam or any of his colleagues tried to shame them? And I don't mean amiably. I mean with fire and brimstone. I'm talking about lacing into them with all the fury, disgust, and vitriol you can muster. And you can start by not calling them your colleagues anymore. They're not. They are your enemies. They are the nation's enemies. They are democracy's enemies. So don't call them colleagues. Try seditionists, for starters, then graduate to traitors. And if that's too strong for you, at least start off by calling them the inveterate liars and cowards they are. Just my two cents. Alicia continued her questioning of Congressman Schiff. Congressman, let's talk about this question of, of courage. Cheney describes a caucus that is often in fear of Donald Trump. And I want to read a particularly telling bit from CNN's reporting about the book. Quote, she recounts how a GOP colleague, who she doesn't name, told her he knew what Trump had done was impeachable. But he was afraid that voting to impeach would put his wife and new baby in danger. I absolutely understood his fear, Cheney writes, but I also thought, Perhaps you need to be in another job. Congressman, you are no stranger to threats. You are no stranger to intimidation, particularly because of the stance you have taken against the ex-president. Do you share Liz Cheney's attitude on this, which is, if you can't stand the heat, get out the kitchen? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, you're right. Uh, this is a very dangerous trend we have seen of increasing acceptance and advocacy of political violence, I think, egged on by the former president. But if you're not willing to do your job, uh, even when it uh, involves getting threatened 
then you better find another job right now uh, because there are more, th- more things more important uh, and, and standing up for a constitution and defending uh, your, your uh, responsibilities and a, you know, living up to your oath of office uh, is to me the most important. Uh, you know, I remember speaking to Adam Kinzinger uh, and he was saying that uh, people keep saying that, you know, Liz and I are so courageous. It's not that we're so courageous, but we're surrounded by cowards. And I think <laughs> what we have come to learn is, while we knew, I think, inherently that courage can be contagious, what we also found during these years is so can cowardice. And because no one would speak out, no one would speak out. And there was this herd mentality, and there still is people afraid of Donald Trump, unwilling to do the right thing when they know the right thing because they're either in fear of their personal safety or more often just the pedestrian concern over whether they get to keep their job. Uh, And, you know, for those members, I would just say there are more important things than keeping your job. Being able to look at yourself in the mirror ought to be one of them. Oh, ouch. But there you go. Adam's already calling them cowards. See, as Stormy Daniels would, Daniels would say, that wasn't so hard, now was it? 221-7283 is our call number here at the station, folks. If you want to chat, that's 702-221-SAVE. And by the way, one more clip. Contrary to what the right-wing propaganda hate media has brainwashed their lobotomized audience into believing Adam Schiff is a rock star, and he was a platinum rock star in Trump's first impeachment. And what you just heard from him there in those three clips I just played, he wasn't just talking the talk concerning courage in the face of danger. Adam Schiff was the impeachment manager in Trump's first impeachment. And I'll never forget his closing arguments. And I don't mind telling you, this is a trip down memory lane I never mind taking. History will not be kind to Donald Trump. I think we all know that. Not because it will be written by never-Trumpers, but because whenever we have departed from the values of our nation, we have come to regret it. And that regret is written all over the pages of our history. If you find that the House has proved its case and still vote to acquit, your name will be tied to his with a cord of steel and for all of history. But if you find the courage to stand up to him, to speak the awful truth to his rank falsehood, your place will be among the Davids who took on Goliath. If only you will say enough. It is said that a single man or woman of courage makes a majority. Is there one among you who will say enough? America believes in a thing called truth. She does not believe we are entitled to our own alternate facts. She recoils at those who spread pernicious falsehoods. To her, truth matters. There is nothing more corrosive to a democracy than the idea that there is no truth. America also believes there is a difference between right and wrong, and right matters here. But there is more. Truth matters. Right matters. But so does decency. Decency matters. When the president smears a patriotic public servant like Marie Ivanovich in pursuit of a corrupt aim, we recoil. When the president mocks the disabled, 
a war hero who is a prisoner of war or a gold star father, we are appalled because decency matters here. And when the president tries to coerce an ally to help him cheat in our elections and then covers it up, we must say enough, enough. He has betrayed our national security and he will do so again. He has compromised our elections, and he will do so again. You will not change him. You cannot constrain him. He is who he is. Truth matters little to him. What's right matters even less, and decency matters not at all. I do not ask you to convict him because truth or right or decency matters nothing to him, but because we have proven our case and it matters to you. Truth matters to you. Right matters to you. You are decent. He is not who you are. And just for the record, there wasn't one member of the QOP who didn't know full well that every word Adam Schiff spoke was the God's truth. Unfortunately, at that point, it didn't matter. Donald Trump was who they were and vice versa. And long before that, they had not only... They had not only already chosen not so much party over country, but worse than that, they betrayed their own party and their oath and chose one man over country. And not only that, but one man they all knew to a person was the most manifestly unfit person for office they had ever met. But out of rank cowardice and fear, they refused to say enough. And what we just heard from Adam Schiff were, in my view, some of the most impassioned and powerful and truthful words ever spoken in Congress. 221-7283 is our caller number here at the States of Folk. If you want to chat in our remaining moments, that's 702-221-SAVE. We'll head to the phones now, and we'll start off with Gary. Your first... Huh? <laughs> what? Is this, uh, hello? Yeah, hello. Is this, is it Mr. Uh, Doug Basham? It, it is. Um, I want you, do you have a pen? I'm, I, I'm so bad with your car problems. You need to write this number down, and then I'll get down to the nitty gritty if I can. Gary, you can't give out a phone number on the air. Text it to me. You have my number. Oh, okay. Uh, we'll do that. Uh, and um, I spent eight and a half hours just to change my address at the motor vehicle department. And uh, I suggested to uh, John Lee, who was running for governor at the time, to go down there and campaign in person with that long line and all that madness. He made it part of his platform, but he didn't become the governor. So much for that. But I I understand uh, the insanity and the bureaucracy. Yeah. I just want to give a big shout-out um, uh, wait, before I do that, I just want to say we're having this debate that we have um, Governor uh, Sanctimonious and Governor Nuisance. <laughs> Don't you wish their cell phone would ring while they're in the debate and they answer the phone and they're like, oh, I can't believe it. No, I, I don't. I, you know, it's a scam call. You know, I, I, I have a plan. I don't need to change my health plan and make a joke of it. Uh, I, I should be uh, in charge of those proceedings. All right, big shout-out to Big John. I need a lawyer. <laughs> I need to sue the RTC 
What are you laughing? I didn't even get to the point yet. God, you're a good guy, man. You're so no. I was so laugh. I was laugh. I was laughing because first of all, you challenged John to an arm wrestling match. Then he called in and and had fun with it and told you to lawyer up. And now you're asking him to represent you. It was just kind of an interesting, funny well, trilogy. Well, it sunk in. It sunk in after what you told me that he's a really big guy. And then, I, then I remembered that I'm an old guy. And I have arthritis and stuff. That's what I'm calling about. Uh, they're removing the seats a little at a time at the bus stops because nobody wants to remove the drunks. Uh, see, I get drunk when I go home mostly. Uh, they're hanging out and homeless. So now they can't sit down. They have this little piece of metal that angles down. You slide off of it. And I want to start a lawsuit. Uh, and work up my way to um, demanding a jury of, of my peers, and they have to sit in those bus stops. And I want the temperature turned up to 107, and, and, and people, all the people with canes, trying to sit down and wait for the bus. And a Big John gives me a good price, and he, he can forget all the uh, acrimony. Uh, but you gotta lay off of JD. Oh, Gary, you Gary, 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 hold on. What? There's no acrimony. John, John thinks you're a good guy, and he was just having fun with you with the lawsuit stuff. There's no animus yeah, towards you the, from John. Don't tell the or don't give a don't give that to the audience. Okay, John Wait hates you. He hates your guts. <laughs> better, much better for ratings. So JD is a Frank Sinatra kind of guy. I'm like a Frank Zappa kind of guy, and Big John is like, I hear, a Commodore's kind of guy. I think we can work it out, but let's not bring people's grandchildren into the picture. Can we, can we lay off of that stuff? Speaking, think, speaking of grandchildren. Speaking of months arguing and fighting amongst us. Well, maybe, <laughs> speaking of grandchildren, that's another beef I have after standing in line at the DMV for an hour and a half yesterday. Why do kids take babies and young kids to the DMV when they have to stand in line? They know the kids are going to be bored. They know the kids are going to start screaming and crying. Why not get a babysitter or make an appointment so you don't have to stand in line, which I would have done yesterday if I had you know, I, more I than two you, hours. Can I, can I tell you what? Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because there's huge pressing problems in the world and the country so none of us regular people have a voice about regular things anymore uh, that's why and you don't have people like you talking about it like you did and I enjoyed it Not, I, I, I feel your pain but what you went through uh, I understand so much all the stuff that goes on in everyday lives uh, all right, I better get off the air. Uh, I'll talk hey, to you next time. Hey, I appreciate it, Gary. You take care. You sound like you're a little, a little under the weather. Take care of yourself. Hey, folks, that's it. I got to run. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you calling. Again, the website, DougBasham.com. My email, Doug at DougBasham.com. We'll do this all over again tomorrow, hopefully with you. Until then, take care.